I want to share with you some verses that uh, frighten me just a little bit. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor. James chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And in Matthew chapter 5, I have verse 42 written down there, but I think that's verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. These verses frighten me just a little bit. Frighten anybody else? A little bit? Jimmy, why do they frighten you? Okay. Being perfect. That's a pretty high standard. It's kind of frightening. It's frightening for me because when I examine myself today, I, I know pretty well I am not perfect. In addition to that, as I look on through my future, to be honest with you, I don't see any time in the near future that perfection is going to be one of the things that, that I'm attaining. And so at times, I can struggle and it can become very discouraging, wondering, is it possible that I can ever be good enough? In fact, I feel like that, that probably is not ever going to happen because as I consider this, it seems like good enough equals being perfect. And so if I'm ever short of perfection, which uh, I am on a pretty consistent basis, then I feel like I must just not be good enough. And that is pretty frightening. And this can be bothersome for Christians no matter how mature we are, no matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how hard we've struggled and strived, and no matter how much growth we've had. And when we start thinking just with these kind of verses, it can be troublesome to us. I want to share something with you as we look at these verses and we consider what the Scripture says. I really only have one thing that I want you to get out of today's lesson. I want us to understand that our job is progress. God's job is perfection. Our job is progress. God's job is perfection. And when we can grasp that, suddenly we no longer have to have sleepless nights worried about what's going to happen to us because we're not perfect yet. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you because you are awesome and powerful and you are perfect. You are the perfect Father. You're the perfect Creator. You are the perfect Judge. You're the perfect Redeemer. You're the perfect Savior. We're so thankful for all that you've done. You've given us your perfect Word that tells us about your perfect Son, leads us in the guidance of your perfect Spirit, and we're so thankful that you have loved us perfectly. We pray that you would be with us, Father. Perfect us. Help us to grow. Help us to have our comfort in you as our Savior and as our God. Help us not to be frightened and in doubt because of our own weakness, but rather to be confident and comforted because of your strength and your perfection. Father, we love you so much, and we pray that you would be with us this morning as we study your word, that we will be uplifted, that we will be comforted, that we will be encouraged to honor and glorify you. Father, help us to progress in your will and in your Son's grace and the knowledge of him. We love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen.
Well, we all know what the problem is with this. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where every single one of us is. And the fact is that puts us, when we consider this, in a very precarious position, because even if today we started at this point and from now on, we live in absolute, utter perfection, never ever doing anything wrong again, even that perfect obedience and perfect living would not do anything to remove the stain of imperfection that is spilt all over us. The fact is, we are imperfect. We've already botched the idea of perfection. And so what are we going to do about that? And what is going to be done about that? Well, what God first did was allowed us the opportunity to perfect ourselves. And He gave us a law. So that if we live by that, we could perfect ourselves. But Hebrews demonstrates the problem there. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11 it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? He said, if the law had made us perfect through that Levitical priesthood, there would have been no need for another priest. But then he makes it even more abundantly clear down in verse 19. He says, for the law made nothing perfect. God gave us the opportunity to perfect ourselves by giving the law, but the law made nothing perfect. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law was not given to provide life. The law could not give life. In fact, if a law could give life, then God says that law that He gave would have been able to do it. But it doesn't. The law perfects no one. So we need something. Now the Scripture says that in the Old Covenant... The law couldn't perfect them, so God gave sacrifice. But the problem is, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, we learn something about those old covenant sacrifices. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? He said these sacrifices that they gave year after year, day after day even, could not perfect the ones who brought those sacrifices. And so, under the Old Covenant, there was a real problem. Here was a law, but it could make nobody perfect. And here were sacrifices, but they couldn't perfect anyone either. We needed something else. What else did we need? Now, the sad thing is, is that some of us today look for something else, and the something else we look for is just another law. So think about what Galatians 3.21 says. In Galatians 3.21, read it again. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Let me ask you, is that passage saying the old law can't give, good, can't give life, but... God's going to give us a new law, and that law is going to give life. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a new law. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says that he's not without law from God, but under the law of Christ. 
There is a law of Christ, and we need to be under the law of Christ, and it's very important. But the question is, was a law given in order to give us life? I want you to think about this. If Gordon was out in the lake drowning, would we just throw more water on him? Of course not. If our problem is sin, which 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us is lawlessness, is the solution to that, let's just throw some more law on us? Well, the problem is, the old law demonstrated that law cannot give us life. And law cannot perfect us. Our problem is lawlessness. If God heaps more law on us, all we're going to get is more lawlessness. There needed to be something else. And God offered that. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Notice what it says. The Hebrews had offered and offered and offered sacrifices day after day, month after month, year after year, and yet were never perfected. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, the Hebrew writer says, For by a single offering, back up in verse 12, that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, back in verse 14, for by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see what this passage says? Not He is perfecting, not He is going to perfect. This passage says, by a single sacrifice, He has perfected all who are being sanctified. He has perfected. Brothers and sisters, there is a sense in which we are already perfect. Not because of anything we have done, but because Jesus Christ Himself died on the cross so that we might be made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not making this up. This isn't just me trying to be happy and comforting. This is what the verse said. He has perfected. He's already done it. In fact, look in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, he's talking about the fact that we have come into the body of Christ. We have come into His church. Notice what it says. When we have come into His church, verse 22, when we come into His church, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festival gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, we are the assembly of those who are firstborn enrolled in heaven. We've come to that assembly. We've come to God, the judge of all, and notice what else we've come to. We have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. When we enter Christ's church, when we become a part of Christ's kingdom, we have come to that group of people who are the firstborn enrolled in heaven, spirits of the righteous not being perfected, not going to be perfect one day. Spirits of the righteous made perfect. It has already happened. We know what Acts chapter 2 says. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter cried out to those on the day of Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Verse 41 said, So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 47, as it talks about that growing body of believers, that church 
church of Christ, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, the number of the church, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When we are baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, we are brought into that body of believers. We have come to the assembly of the firstborn. We have come to that group of spirits of the righteous made perfect. On that day, we are made perfect by the blood of Jesus. We're told that we need to be perfect. And that's frightening for us. But what we learn is that for us, that's already happened. We have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. Does that now mean that it doesn't matter what we do? Can we sit back and say, I have already been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. I can sin with impunity. I can live a profligate life. I can just be prodigal. I can do whatever I want. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Romans chapter 6, I think, demonstrates that to us. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul talks about the grace of God, saying, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus did not perfect us so we could live in sin. Jesus has perfected us so that we can walk in newness of life. Look again at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. The passage that said we, are being, we have been perfected. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, read it again. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Has perfected is past tense. That has happened. It has already happened. But who is He doing that for? Those who are being sanctified. Sanctified means being set apart. When it says that they are being sanctified, for those of us who... Uh, love grammar, we know that that is present progressive. And what that means is that it's something that is happening right now and it's continuing. He has perfected us, but right now we are in the process of being sanctified. That is being set apart for holy use. Here's what you see here. You see this great phrase that folks like to use when they talk about biblical principles. We see already, but not yet. Already we have been perfected, but not yet. We are being sanctified even right now. So there's two senses of this. There is the fact that we are already perfected, but we are presently being sanctified. But here's the other thing I want you to notice about that, is that this sanctified, it's in the passive voice. That is, this is something that is being done to us. It is not something we are doing ourselves. I want you to grasp that. Already but not yet. Jesus has already perfected us, but the sanctification we're going through is something that is being done to us. Which leads us to our next point. You see, in one sense, Jesus has already perfected us. But in another sense, God is perfecting us. When we came into Christ, Jesus perfected us, but now we are being sanctified. We are being set apart. We are going through that process by which we overcome sin. And God is accomplishing that within us. God is working on that through us and for us. And the great comfort that we can have, 
The thing that wipes out our fears is that we look at ourselves. You remember what Jimmy said a few moments ago? He said that concept that he has to be perfect and he can't. That concept that on his own, if he just tries by his own human will, just tries now to overcome his sin, it's just not going to happen. He's not going to be very good at that. But the comfort that we can have is we're not doing this on our own. God is perfecting us. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Paul says, we know this. The sad problem is, is that what Paul accepts as just common knowledge among Christians has been forgotten by many of us. Paul said it's just common knowledge. We know that for those who love God, He's working everything together for good. He's working it together that they will be conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, those whom He foreknew. What did He foreknow? He foreknew that they would love God. He didn't choose that they would love God, but He foreknew that they would. And those whom He foreknew to love God he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you see that? Here's what that means. Brothers and sisters, if we love God, he has predestined that we will be conformed to the image of his son. It's not a guessing game. It's not a wait and see game. God has already said that is what's going to happen. What a great comfort that is. That, that all I have to do today is love God. All I have to do today is say, Man, what's the next right thing? What is it that God wants me to do? Let me surrender my life in and He's going to take care of perfecting me. I don't have to perfect me. God's going to do that. He has already predestined it to happen. I'd like to share with you some other passages that demonstrate this. Look in Romans chapter 16. At the very end of this book, notice what it says about the strength of God. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, it says, Now, to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, that has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. We're going to give glory to this God, but what is it this God is able to do? To strengthen us. That's what He's doing. He is strengthening us. He's doing that. Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, it says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is praying? What is Paul praying for? Paul is not praying, hey, I pray that you Ephesians will be strong enough. Paul is praying that God will strengthen the Ephesians. 
God is working on that. God is accomplishing that. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Again, Paul's prayer. Notice what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul's prayer? Paul's prayer is not, I hope you guys will be sanctified. It's not, I hope you guys will sanctify yourself. He says, my prayer is that the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely and may keep your whole spirit and soul and body blameless the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. Notice what Paul says about God. For the Lord is faithful. Notice what he says the Lord is faithful is going to do. For the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's what he is doing. That is what he is going to do. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God is doing this. God is perfecting us. And one more. Jude, verses 24 and 25. Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Who is able to present us blameless? Who is able to keep us from stumbling? Is He talking about honoring us? No, he's talking about honoring God. God is the one who can keep us from stumbling. God is the one who will present us blameless. Brothers and sisters, think about what this says. This is not just some abstract, obscure verse that I found and say, oh, I want you to think about this in a different way. You see, you hear all these verses that say God is strong enough, God is doing this, God will do that to the God who can do this. This is what God says. Jesus has perfected us, and right now, God is perfecting us. God is doing that. That is God's job. God's job is perfection. I don't have to sit in fear. I don't have to lie awake at night because I'm not perfect and I don't think I can make myself perfect and so I'm going to fall short of the Scripture because I'm not the one working on perfection. God is the one working on perfection and He can do it. God can accomplish that. And so now, I can rest in God as my fortress, my strong and mighty tower, my refuge, the one who is working on my behalf, working in me and through me, working in you and through you to perfect us. And if He was willing to send His Son to die for us so that we might perfect it, how much more will He be willing to do whatever else it takes for us to be perfected. God's job is perfection. Well, what then is my job? Do I have a job? Or do I just get to sit back and wait for God to work His mighty power and I just won't do anything and we'll just, we'll just let God flip some switches and everything will just be okay? 
God's job is perfection. Our job is progress in Christ. I don't know how you're going to take what I've said so far. I have no doubt that there might be some people who take what has been said so far and they decide, oh goody, I don't have to do anything. And they'll use that to defend just being sinful or just being apathetic or not caring. But I do know how Paul took it. I do know what Paul thought when he heard about God's working in him. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul knew that God was working in him. Paul's the one that wrote most of those passages we read just a few moments ago. Paul was very well aware that God was the one who was going to restore him and establish him and confirm him, who was going to strengthen him and perfect him. Paul understood that. When Paul heard that, did Paul say, oh good, I can just sit back and not worry about anything. I don't have a job. I'll just sit here. No, Paul said, I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is working in me. You see, the very interesting thing is so many people today get it backwards. So many people today have the idea that because God is working, I don't have to do anything. The reality is, if God was not working, that's when we might as well give up. If God is not working, that's when we might as well not worry about all this. That's when we might as well not be concerned about spiritual growth, because we won't ever be able to accomplish it. If God was not working, we might as well go ahead and sit down. In fact, if God is not working, what we're doing here today is pretty pointless as far as our own spiritual growth. Certainly God is worthy of our praise and glory, whether he's working in our lives or not. But if God is not working to perfect us and to strengthen and to establish us, that's when we might as well quit. But Paul said, because God is working... That's why we work. That's why we focus on growth. That's why we progress. Where is it that we need to progress? Look in Second Peter chapter 1. In Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we need to be doing? It says we need to be supplementing our faith with virtue, and our virtue with knowledge, and our knowledge with self-control, and on through that list. Yes, there's something we need to be doing. We need to be working. But why are we working? Because God is working in us. I want you to notice. Again, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours in perfection, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Is that what it says? No, it says if these qualities are yours and increasing. Your translation may say if they are yours and abound. That, that may leave you with the idea if you've got a whole lot of it, but that's not what that word means. The idea is if they are abounding. That is if they are getting more and more and more. If they are increasing. 
if these things are yours and they are increasing, that's what renders us neither unfruitful or ineffective. He doesn't say perfection is what keeps us from being ineffective and keeps us... All right, let me get my tongue untangled here. He's not saying that perfection is the only thing that will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful, but growth is what does that for us. In fact, verse 10, doing this, being diligent at this, will make our calling and election sure, and it will ensure that we never fall. In fact, this is the way that an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly provided for us. What do we need to learn here? Our job is progress. God's job is perfection. I don't have to sit back in all this fear that I'm not perfect today. It doesn't say that the entrance into heaven is, is going to be given to me because of my personal perfection. It says that my job is that I grow. That I'm increasing my faith. And that I'm adding virtue and knowledge. Think about that. If, if faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control, if that's supposed to be increasing in me, that means tomorrow I'm supposed to have more faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and on down that list, doesn't it? You realize what that means about me today? That means today there's some lack of faith. There's some lack of virtue. There's some lack of knowledge and self-control. But tomorrow there'll be more. I'll be growing. I'll be progressing. And that's the way it is for all of us. What's our job? Our job is progress. Our job is not to sit back and worry that we're not good enough. Our job is just to be where we are and grow. That's it. That's our job. We don't have to sit in paralyzed in fear because we're not good enough or we're not perfect. We don't need to stay outside of Christ because we're not good enough or think we can't ever be good enough. We need to get in Christ because that's where God is working on us to perfect us. And that's where we can progress. And I'd like to add a little bit of icing to this cake. There's one other thing I want to share with you. Though imperfect, we are heaven-bound. What happens? This is a big question for us, right? When we, when we remember how imperfect we are from our own strength and our own power and how much we have to grow, we begin to wonder, what happens if I die like that? Okay, God is perfecting me, but what if I die before He gets me perfect? That's the kind of question that will keep Christians up at night. I'd like to turn to Paul again. Look in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What's Paul say about himself? I'm not perfect. I'm doing everything I possibly can to, to, to reach out and get to the resurrection, but I haven't attained that and I'm not perfect. But now let's look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. So he said, right now at this point, I'm not perfect. And in Philippians chapter 1, he talks about being between a rock and a hard place. He knows that he might be delivered from death, but then again he might die. Notice what he says in verse 21, Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now guys, in Philippians 3.12, Paul said he wasn't perfect. But here he said if he died that day, where would he be? With Christ. You see that? He says he's going to stick around. God's going to have him stay. Why? Does Paul say, oh, he's going to have me stay because I'm not perfect yet and he's got to get me perfect before I die? No, that's not what he says. He's going to stay to help the brethren. Because for him, if he died at that point, right then, it meant going to be with Christ. Even though he could also say at that exact same time, I am not perfect. Won't y'all see that? How great is that? How great is that? Jesus has perfected us. God is perfecting us. And even though we in our own strength are imperfect, when we are in Christ, death is gain because it means we're going to be with Him. Does that mean that I can just sit back and say, oh, nobody's perfect, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. No, it doesn't mean that. Look again at Philippians 3.12. As Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why could Paul say that even though he wasn't perfect, if he died right then, he would go to heaven and be with Christ? Because he was pressing on for that. Because he's growing. Because he's progressing. You see, what Paul understood is he was doing his job. And he was confident that God would do his. That's the key for us. These verses still frighten me. Not as much. Because suddenly I realize this isn't about me. This is about God's work in me. This isn't about you. This is about God's work in me. Are you doing your work of progressing in Christ? Are you reaching forward, straining forward? And God is working. And He will perfect you. You see, our job is progress. God's job is perfection. When we're working our job, we can be confident that God is absolutely doing His.